Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to the uh, Flats and Shanks podcast. A bonus issue, uh, if you will. A issue? A bonus episode, if you will. Um, Tom and I are joined uh, today by Mark Evans, um, who's been around uh, professional, well, amateur and professional rugby union for about 250 years, since he was 53. Um, knows his onions, been all over the world, uh, involved in professional rugby. And I found myself sending Shanks WhatsApps, didn't I, Shanks, about the Worcester thing, the Wasps thing, financial viability, who'd buy a rugby club type messages. And then I thought, what I might do is give uh, Mark Evans a call. And then I thought, well, why not give Mark Evans a call and record it and make it into a podcast? Because, um, Evs, I always, um, whether I'm right or wrong, I always find your views interesting on these things. I take it you do have a view, Mark. And usually, yes, I do, yeah. Yeah, I can't believe it. Um, I just, I think what what we might do, Mark, I mean, you, you will have read around this a lot like we have, and instead of concentrating perhaps on the specifics of what we think is happening at Wasps and Worcester, mm. uh, we might go a bit more generic and talk about, yes, those two clubs uh, in part, um, but also sort of the how did we get here and the potential yeah. fixes, the potential it is, you know, I said to before you before we called you, uh, I said to Shanks, who'd buy a rugby club? I wouldn't, mate. And it just in a passing comment. And I thought, I mean, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't know how it was viable. But you will have views on this. So I guess um, before we go general, we'll just kind of an overview of what's happening. We know that mm-hmm. Worcester, we've been told that Worcester have been given a winding up order by HMRC, which I read is not terminal, but it's worrying nonetheless. And Wasps are, you know, they've once, you know, relatively vehemently denied the fact that they are, uh, in real financial trouble, but we know that they did the mm. whole. There's the whole stadium business. There's a there's a there's a huge thing that hasn't quite. There's a lot of inf- investment from fans in this bond that they've struggled to repay. There's this whole arena business that doesn't seem to have worked. There's giving out tens of thousands of cheap or free tickets, then asking people to buy them after that, which is quite difficult, and that hasn't happened. So the, the crowd is reduced. There's all that stuff. But do you? Do you regard these respective situations as 
it'll be all right or actually potentially quite serious for these two clubs? Um, on the two clubs, I think it's quite serious for quite for, for different reasons. I do think there's an awful lot of difference in the situation they are both arrived at. And, you know, without being having access to all the right information and financial records, you know, you've got to be careful about speculating. But nevertheless, there's clearly quite significant problems there, which is hardly surprising because the model for club rugby, and I've said this countless times and I'll keep on saying it, the model for club rugby in England is broken. Um, and the only way a club can keep going and be competitive is if their owners have very deep pockets that they are prepared to keep um, dipping their hand into. I mean, let's not forget also, in the last three to four years, uh, there's been a huge injection from CBC into each club, mm. and most yeah. clubs have taken something close to £10 million from Sport England, which they are going to have to repay, albeit on a very low interest rate and over quite a long time. So you then add on to that that over the, and this is the one that knocks me sideways, um, if you add on to that that since 1997, when the league began, um, collectively the clubs have lost about £500 million. So that's... That's half a billion. Mm -hmm. Now, we're, we're starting to talk serious money now. Um, now, if your mm -hmm. owner or owners, because a number of clubs have gone through several owners over that 25-year period, mm -hmm. um, are okay with that, you are incredibly fortunate. And we should, as a sport, always be thankful. We've had such people prepared to fund our passion. And, and and sometimes theirs too, but but not always. Um, but that's not you. That is not sustainable in the long run. We have got to move to a model whereby our cost base is not dissimilar to our revenue. And it's no good saying like this. These are two things, and then I'll shut up. That drive me nuts. People saying, "Oh, when when clubs don't spend money, two things happen. They either can't compete." It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange old situation. Everybody knows it doesn't make sense, but nobody wants to be the one that stops spending because then you can't compete. And then the fans say in this horrible fan way, oh, they lack ambition. They lack ambition, which basically means we want another rich bloke to come in and spend more money. Um, yeah. And when you start talking about whether well, costs have to come down, that effectively means salaries. And I don't just mean players. I mean coaches, I mean administrators, etc., etc. The cost base is out of whack with the revenue line. And then you get the, oh, but it's a tough game and it's a short career and it's dangerous and the players deserve it. Well, what, like coal miners or nurses or any other profession mm -hmm. is what I'd say. Don't get me wrong, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, it's, a, it's a dangerous sport. It's, it, it, they should be um, recompensed, but not to the point that clubs run at a continual loss. That's how I think we are where we are. And I would argue that, you know, maybe this time, but I'm not confident, but maybe this time we might get some regulation and some economic reality into the business.
Mark, um, it's great to have you on. And I know you've never said this publicly, but Flats and I were probably your, your two biggest signings uh, at Saracens. Oh, oh and, when and, you were there. And, and look, look, look I, I still wake up at night and think, was that £6,000 really worth it? Five, bloody five, mate. Don't overrate no, it. I, I know no, inflation's no. rising. So, and to be fair, you're a I'm great so, salesman but, and you sold it to me on the food. Um, I turned up at Saracens and, <laughs> and, you, and you delivered me a four-course meal from Chef Jim. And that was it. I was in straight away. I didn't care what the rubby was like on the it field. It was in. Uh, uh, <laughs> didn't care about the tiny bit of cup. You've got to get, Nothing. You've got to get the basics right, Shanks. You've got to get the basics right. And my dad noticed you had a fake Rolex on. But that's that's neither here nor there. It doesn't matter. <laughs> not, I, I, do you know what? That's... Shanks, before before you move on, if you ask a question, Shanks, I I had to write a little article <laughs> for, a, for a friend's magazine the other night about A-level results. And I remember I put in this article, um, I remember going, I was tra- already training in pre-season at Sarries with you, Evzy, and, and I and I yeah. said, A-level results tomorrow. And um, I said, do I, what do I do? Do I go to school and pick them up? And you said, up to you, mate. So we're training at 9, 11 and 2. So, and I said, well, I can't train. It goes, you said completely up to you. And I said, well, I think I might skip it because I don't think I'm going to need them. And you said, right, good lad. See you at nine. <laughs> that was it. And I remember my parents <laughs> ringing me that night and saying, what'd you get? I said, I don't know. I didn't go in. What? I didn't go in. We, we, I didn't, you yeah. didn't use mobile phones so liberally then because it was yeah. so expensive for us. It was like, yeah. my dad got home, rang me off the landline and I said, oh, I don't know. Can you ring the school? So I think my dad rang the school the next day or something. But I'm on like, the bench well, this weekend ways. to play dad. So yeah. every yeah. cloud. Yeah, actually. Right. Um, my, my question was be it was going to be, um, how much of an impact has COVID been um, during this period? Because there's obviously oh, a period yeah. where, uh, you know, teams weren't allowed to, um, have income coming in through through crowd and couldn't generate any revenue mm. through there. Are you surprised mm. that there hasn't been more issues sooner with HMRC? And how sympathetic do you think HMRC will be with clubs? A significant impact. And without government intervention and through the DCMS, uh, we'd have seen uh, probably more clubs in more sports come under real financial pressure. Mm. Um, but at one and the same time, COVID didn't wreck the model the model wasn't working Mm. before covid and covid has made things much more difficult um but the but but the the bottom line is even the 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 more uh, the the more successful clubs say someone like well take take my old club take harlequins who who whose revenue is just north of 25 million so they are one of the largest clubs in england Okay, and they generate most of that themselves. You know, there's not a huge amount of money. There's some, there's about five or six million coming from the middle, as it were, from from PRL and England, from what they call central revenues. But but Harlequins is a, you know, they've invested very heavily. They've they've, they've got got a decent ground. They get they're full every week. Um, They've been pretty, pretty good on the pitch in the last couple of years. But but actually, they built up that revenue when they were, you know, sort of up and down a little bit. still don't make money Mm. now if Mm. harlequins don't make money unless the tigers don't make money what earthly chance do the likes of newcastle and worcester and others who have a less developed business got and the answer is unless you can start find somebody to fund you none the danger then Mm. of course is that and you get this in all sports you get people circling around the sport particularly if they own property 
you know, particularly if they own land. And there's lots of examples in football of uh, over the years of people sniffing around football clubs purely to almost like asset strip. And you, so, you know, it, you start to move into those sorts of areas and it gets very, very um, unpleasant. We, we, we've had some over the years, you know, uh, a number of clubs, West Hartlepool lost their ground, didn't they? Uh, Mosley mm. lost their ground. You know, that's what happens mm. to clubs at all levels. If the, if the model's poor and the, the, the costs are consistently high, and you get investor fatigue. People say, well, you know what? I put in X million and this doesn't look like it's changing anytime soon. The kids are starting to talk about their inheritance. Um, and I think I've done my bit. I wonder if somebody else will take it off my hands. Um, at the moment, of course, uh, nobody wants to buy. <laughs> there have been any, I could, without breaching any confidences, there have been several premiership clubs who have, if they could have found a buyer in the last two or three years, would have gladly sold. Yeah. Yeah. I think I I think we we'll get we'll get to sort of season structures and missing internationals mm. and all that sort of stuff in a sec. Mm. But d- during yeah. yeah COVID, I remember going for walking the dog and seeing a couple of um guys who are sort of linked to Bath rugby because I still I live down here obviously still yeah. and um it was like well all the I said oh how the lads taking the old pay cut as just a passing comment because it was common knowledge the lads and he said well mm. most mm. of the lads have been great actually but there's a bit of a bit of a movement against it. And my immediate thought was the very, very, very obvious place to start is all the lads who are on 400,000 quid a year. Would you mind shifting to 300,000 quid a year or your 400,000 quid a year is going to stop in in totality very, very soon? So could everyone please take less money because this is our major outgoing? And it seemed not just, the, I mean, everybody I'm talking about, really. Then I think to myself, mm. um, if I was a player, I would hate that. Yes, of course, because nobody wants a pay cut when you, your job role hasn't changed. You're still working as hard as ever and you get, the, you get your money chopped. But it seemed an obvious move. Was that kind of a Band-Aid on a gaping wound or was that actually a clever move that needed to happen and the start of perhaps professional rugby in England getting a bit more real? Yeah, I think in the old uh, economist phrase, necessary but not sufficient would be um yeah. would be my analysis of that had to happen uh it's always very very difficult in any sector when you start to say to good people who are putting in a hundred percent effort look i'm really sorry uh but you're gonna have to take a pay cut or you're going to be made redundant you know it, it, it it's deeply deeply unpleasant um however sport is not immune from that um the difficulty, or what makes it more difficult in sport, is it doesn't tend to hit all the clubs at the same time, in the same to the same degree. Some, 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 some will have yeah. um, owners who are still very much behind them, who are prepared to say, well, "All right, I'm in this for the long haul. Okay, it's going to be a big check this year, but once the crowd comes back, the checks will get smaller, etc., etc., etc." Whereas there'll be other clubs there, they go, well, you know what? I, I haven't got any money left. Uh, uh, that's somebody said to me a few years back. The thing is, if you're going to own a rugby club in this in England, uh, and I do stress England here, I think it's slightly different than some of the other um, yeah. sort of Six Nations. Um, you've got to you've got to be worth hundreds of millions, not tens. Yeah, and you know, 
there aren't that many of these those people about. And of that, how many of them? Well, actually, a disproportionate percentage, but nevertheless. And how many of them love rugby? And then, how many of them? Because you look backwards and you look over the last twenty-five years, as I said, you know, club like Worcester have lost sixty-five million pounds. Wow. Right. Well. 65 million pounds and then that's, i'm not made by that it's a matter of public record if you're really nerdy uh, out there you can go and like look you it are. up um <laughs> like i have yeah thank you yes uh yeah i'd like to think i I'd like, I like the phrase intellectual uh better david that's but, it each to their own yeah um no in all seriousness it's a matter of public record i mean i think saracens is 85 yeah. you know and, and and we all know mm. nigel you know very well he, he's a, he's an absolutely avid rugby fan he's an avid saracen but i don't care how wealthy you are those sorts of numbers you know you know i'm just looking at the worcester numbers now and this precedes the current ownership so from 2014 own own and taking out extraordinaries and all the rest of it 5.2 5.2 6.2 7.6 5.6 that's a lot of money yeah um yeah a million by the way Mark, how, yeah, that's a lot of money. It is loads. It is loads. And how much do you think global rugby is is partly to blame, or not blame, but responsible um, for uh, driving players' wages? Because obviously, you look at France, you oh, look at Japan, yeah. wages are high. Yeah, yeah. Then UK then has to compete. I mean, is is there a quick fit or a quicker fix of right? If you're playing yeah. in the UK, you have <clears throat> wages have to be lower. Um, and yeah. you look at the wage cap, the, but then you, you've got risk of losing all players to France, Japan. Yeah, I think I think that I think that risk is massively overblown and massively overstated. Um, what people never say to that is both of those countries have quick, quite strict quotas on overseas players, mm. right? So the and the GIF the GIF number in France now this year is going up to seventeen. 17 out of the 23 on a Saturday or Sunday have to be French qualified or trained. Well, you can do the math, Shanks. You know, that ain't many overseas contracts, you know, 14 times six. I know there's a few more because you obviously a bigger squad. But let's say there's 10 in each club. And I think that's probably an overestimate. But let's say there's 10. All the countries in the world, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, all the Pacific Islands, how many really would go to English players? And the answer mm. is a few. And Japan, it's two on the pitch. Yeah. So this idea that there is a global market of free movement of players is simply inaccurate. And even if it weren't, I would still argue, you, you know, if you can't fund it, you're taking a massive risk that this whole thing will see major clubs um, basically go into administration. Or at worst, mm. and you could say, well, you know, they'll get replaced by any, by another club. Well, will they? Um, where, where are the clubs in the second level who are even getting 5,000 people to come and watch them? You know, they, and the answer is they mm. don't exist. Now, the answer has to be, I think, very strong. And anyway, any country hasn't got the right to say, well, they're a richer country than us. They pay higher wages, so we have to pay higher wages too. Well, that's economic illiteracy, isn't it? Um, it's yeah. like saying we pay higher wages than Fiji. Therefore, if Fiji want to compete, 
Fiji should pay the same as they pay in England. I mean, we would all think that is ludicrous. Well, why is it any different? We're saying they pay higher wages in France and Japan, so we need to pay the same as France and Japan. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, mm. you know, look at football. You know, Belgium doesn't play the salaries that the French and the English leagues play. Why not? Well, because they can't afford it. Neither does Portugal. Doesn't mean they don't produce great players. The difference there, of course, is they do all leave mm. and they do all go and play in the four or five big European leagues. But that's not going to happen in rugby because we're not a big enough sport. You can hear a mosquito flats, and, and, and they're not allowed. And, there's, and there are. <laughs> yeah, sorry. There's a, there's a, someone strangling a cat. There's also a baby not going to sleep. She'll Excellent. be asleep in seconds. Totally um, there's also of so course. so to that end, in, in terms of sorting out getting our own house in order as it were in England mm. It, mm. Is, there, yeah. is, is there a case for um, reducing the salary cap further for example or is there something do you know what are we just are we not doing enough is it insufficient again is there is there a case for um, maximum salaries a salary cap in terms of what a single player can earn then do you have restriction of trade or is there a case for a minimum salary yeah and a maximum squad size or a minimum squad size and and then then we move on it's a big it's a big question Evs, but you you can handle it mm. but it, then there's a lot of questions in one is what i mean but then do we move on to i've always as a sports person wanted promotion and relegation to exist because of the sporting drama but if that sporting drama if you think that sporting drama um, eventually might contribute to the sport at professional level ultimately dissolving and disappearing in this country mm. because it's just too inviolable, then maybe we sacrifice a bit of drama and and close the league. So it, it's what what measures would you take in short um, to make things more viable? I'm tempted to say, read the book, Unholy Union, available to get in all. Do you know what? I just, I know, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm seeing Mike Elwin <laughs> seeing the book you read. I've got, I've got the book and read the book, uh, but tell us. No, I, look, I, I, and this is a very unpopular view, but I don't, I don't mind. That's okay. I, I don't think the game in England will just dissolve. Is it? So I don't think it just collapse. I don't think that is a, a, a that's, uh, that's simply not going to happen the two the sport's too large mm. there are too, too many people who support it it gets too high broadcast um uh, revenues etc etc uh the international game the world Cups, you know but it's not going to implode right let's not exaggerate however it's unlikely to grow and that's my big thing it's unlikely to grow and you know we're looking at two pretty well established premiership teams now under you know serious pressure who knows what the end game will be, but nevertheless, serious pressure. Uh, we've got balance sheets in the Premiership with huge amounts of debt sitting on them, right? That, that isn't going to go away. So um, do I think we should have a closed league? Yes, I do. I have done for 25 years. Um, I think it's an incredibly inefficient way to run a sport. Um, do, I, do I think those leagues should grow over time? Yes, I do. In fact, that's my whole argument that always gets missed. If you want to grow your game, you've got much more chance of doing that in a closed league than an open one. Look at, I always come up with this example, and I make no apologies again. Uh, here's a league in the Major League Soccer. Not a huge sport in America. Number five, probably. Started in 1996, the same as Premiership Rugby. Um, mm. Fast forward to 2022, and we both had 12 teams. 
Fast forward to 2022, they've got 32. We've got 12, well, 13, which is a ridiculous number. Make your mind up, frankly. Um, <laughs> you, you know, that tells you something. Is that the only factor? No, of course it's not. But it's a big factor because the, the thing is that sports leagues need regulating and we haven't regulated our league enough. You raised some of the issues that would help. Uh, a squad cap size on size would help. I've never met a coach ever in all my years of coaching. I did it myself and, and since then as an administrator who says, well, if I, could, I just need three or four, four more players and we'll be great. Yeah, yeah, everybody in the league says that, mate. Mm. Everybody in the league. And then we all do it yeah. and you're right back where you started. Mm. Uh, it's just sort of, it's a bit of sort of, it's almost like a bit like Russian roulette. It's like, well, I need three physios. Well, why do you need three physios? Well, because they've got three physios. Oh, right, okay. Well, we, we want to be yeah. competitive, don't we? And then someone has four. They say, oh, well, I need four. What, 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 what do you? Really? I mean, uh, and how are we, where's the increased revenue coming to fund that? And, and, and then, oh, well, that's the, that's the front office's job. That's the commercial department. And I'm not, having a dig at playing departments because their job is to win on the... That's not their job to set the framework. Their job is to do as well as they can yeah. within the framework that is set for them. But we've got... And I, and I wouldn't bring the cap, funny enough, people say, oh, you bring the cap down again. No, I wouldn't, actually. I wouldn't. I just wouldn't put it up for quite a long time. Mm. I would, every time in English yeah. Premiership, I could show you the graphs because, again, as you say, I have a nerdy side... Um, and in 2004, mm. uh, the total losses of the league were 2 million. I don't mean a single club now. The total league, 12 teams between them lost 2 million, which meant that some like Leicester and Northampton made money and a few lost money. But overall, the game, the league, lost 2 million pounds. And what did we do? Well, you can guess, can't you? We went off on mm. a on a on a spending splurge oh well we're not losing much money now let's spend some more money let's put the salary cap up well we've always put the salary cap up and saying revenues will follow it i say yeah. once revenues have gone up then you put the salary cap up which by the way should be a fixed percentage of total revenues in the first place but look this could mm -hmm. go i could i could bore for the world on this for hours and hours and hours <laughs> <clears throat> but this is, we have, our model is broken and it's the devil's own job to get 12 or 13 clubs to agree how they want to fix it. But that's what's got to be done. And that's about leadership at PRL. It's about leadership. Not so much within the RFU. This isn't in their gift. Um, Premiership Rugby have got this in their gift. They're the ones who set the salary cap. They're the ones that set the um, any limit on the number of players per club. They're the ones that would set any uh, minimum wage, which I'm in favour of the minimum wage, by the way. I, I, I don't think, I think some... What, what, why, are you, why are you in favour of that? Because I think that is, um, I think that I, fi I, I find it deep, deeply uncomfortable and it's even way worse in the championship. I find it deeply uncomfortable that we're asking people to play a full-time sport on... 16k a year I mean, that, that that's ridiculous right that's just ridiculous and people will do it because they're so desperate for a shot um 
no, I, I think it's a very. I, I think we should have a collective bargaining agreement with the players' union, and a minimum wage should be part of that. But the, the flip side of that is the total spend can't keep rising. We've we've cut now to down to well, you can argue about where the cap is now. Is it is it five year? But there's exemptions and there's a marquee, and the, it's still yeah. probably up at about six and a half, seven for some clubs, right? Can we afford that? Well, just go and look at the just go and look at the P and Ls. No, we can't. So. Let's keep it there for oh, quite a long time, right? Whilst we do some other stuff, because here's the other part of it, we've got to grow more revenue, which means effectively you've got to become a better broadcast product. And then you get into all sorts of areas about the narrative of the league and the fact that it's split up so often and it starts in September and ends three years later and nobody can follow where we are in the season because oh look we're off to Europe and now we're going to play internationals and all the rest of it. We should be playing fewer games in bigger blocks so people can understand it and then more, more people will eventually watch it on television and other broadcasts. And that's the way you drive your revenue. And once you've done that, the players quite rightly as a key stakeholder should share in some of the upside. But at the moment, we're losing so much money because we're spending more. And I know it isn't just players. I should keep saying it's a shorthand. I mean, coaches, I mean, support staff, I mean, CEOs, I mean, commercial directors. We can't keep paying those sorts of costs on the revenues we've got. If Mark, if, if every club makes a loss, is, is that right? Am I right in thinking that every year? Uh, uh, or, or, or... Um, in the last, no, over the years, certain clubs have made a profit. Okay. Not many have made a profit for quite a long time now. Um, Exeter, I and I do so. I, I don't look too much at the numbers post COVID no. because it's so distorted. But up to about 2019, um, Exeter made a certainly were cash flow positive, but everybody else made a a significant loss yeah. um, in total in 2019. It, it came to £50 million. Pounds. But the, So the teams that either make a bit of profit or a smaller loss, how do they get it better than other teams? Is it mm-hmm. purely down to the location of the club, you know, set in the middle of the city? Is it down to winning? Largely. Is it down Largely. to the community? Uh, no, actually, winning's, winning's exaggerated in what it does to your revenues. Um it, it, it's all about market size, um, Shanks, to, to a large degree. How are you sitting in a market where there's a sufficient number of people who really enjoy coming to watch yeah. Rugby Union, either on broadcast or on or, or actually live? And can you engage with them? And is your pricing right? And and because that is still your major revenue stream. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Leicester Tigers, biggest club in England, have been for goodness knows, even when they fell off a cliff playing wise, they still had the largest membership. They still had the largest ground. Their crowds fell, but they were still in the top three. Their turnover was top three. They're a big, big club. Right. Doesn't mean they're always well run, but they're a big club. Um, and therefore, those big clubs with higher revenues they don't always lose less money because you sometimes find they've got they spend more too. Um, so there's not the strictest of correlations between uh, income and uh, profit and loss, but it's a pretty decent one. Mm. So uh, and then clubs in smaller markets, Worcester is quite a small market, quite close to Gloucester, quite a small town. 
Newcastle is a tough market. And I think they've done a great job over the years, to be honest. But it's nobody can, will ever convince me that it's easier to run Newcastle Falcons than it is to run Exeter Chiefs, who are in a great market. Two million people in Devon, not much football, half a million in Cornwall, some of whom, and a really well-run club. But could you just replicate that in the middle of East Anglia, in, you know, where football's so much stronger? Almost certainly not. No. Almost certainly not. You'd have to put it in Norwich. And Norwich is, Norwich is a committed football town. Mm. Um, yeah. And but, then, so, so how? If it feels good, Tom. Sorry, I was going to say. So, when it comes to obviously the two teams um, in the spotlight at the moment, uh, are Worcester. Um, yeah. What you've touched on there about um, being a, being a smaller club, having more competition with with other rugby clubs, and then you look mm. at Wasps, who have moved three yeah. times since. You know, I yeah. I remember. Yeah. I mean, how do you got to look at Wasps and think what you're doing is brilliant in in the way that you're you're trying to keep the club alive and you know you've changed from London Wasps you had to move from High Wycombe out to Coventry rebrand start again, but mm. it look it's so difficult for them being in in that area and you know if you're looking at the 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 league and you look at the teams Bath are top right now um, because the league hasn't started through alphabet- alphabetically <laughs> um, they're, they're doing really well really good, yeah. but wasps they just they, they don't have a base to in and how do you think they've got it wrong because they have got it wrong because of what we're seeing in the press with money owed to HMRC um I, I do actually think there's a business model in that stadium with rugby and football that could work. Um, I, I think the situation between Wasps and Worcester is, is really quite different. Yeah. Um, and Wasps have got, um, you know, they've got a hotel, they've got a casino, they've got a, an exhibition centre, there's car parking, there's talk of a second hotel. Concerts they if, have there. If well. somebody, yeah, if somebody could, what's never quite worked and what has to work, I think, for that stadium to work and, I, and I, I don't know. I know Derek Richardson a little bit, not not particularly well. And I do know he is. He will do everything he possibly can to make that work. Um, I think you've got to bring the football and the you've got to bring the football and the rugby and the stadium together under a common ownership. And I think if you do that, you've got a good chance. I, 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 those large stadiums, thirty thousand. You know, look at you know, look how the London Irish struggled at the Majeski. Yeah. You know, the sheer size of the place started to become a disadvantage, not an advantage. Well, mm. Cardiff when they went to Cardiff City Stadium, yeah. and, and, and you know, those, those large stadiums, unless you've got a very big football club, you need two clubs. Yeah, you do. You, 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 you know, and, and you need in, and you need other. And you need other revenue streams as well. It's a bit more of an Australian model. Melbourne, we played at Amy Park, which was a beautiful, beautiful stadium, 28,000. But four teams played there. Yeah. Two football, one rugby union, one rugby league. Mm. And we all just turned up on our day. We had offices in the stadium and all the rest of it. Um, and the government obviously built the stadium. So, that, but, but the costs of playing there were really high. But to, to maintain the stadium, they had to have four tenants. Otherwise, it didn't work for Mm. them. So Mm. I do think there's a business model at Wasps, stroke Coventry, that could work. 
But of course, the relationship between the football club and the rugby club has deteriorated over time. And that makes things incredibly difficult. But if you could just set aside those sorts of... If you could just bring the whole lot together, I do think there's a possible future at Wasps and so at that stadium. Coventry is a good sports town. It was always a traditional rugby town back in the day. It's got a, quite a lot of area around it where rugby's quite strong. And, yeah, they made mistakes and they probably got their ticketing, you know, a, a, a little bit carried away with that and all the rest of it. But, you know, they're a big brand. They've won European Cups. You know, they, they, they had to get out of London. The London market was overcrowded, massively overcrowded. You know, the idea that, you know, let's forget, before professionalism, you know, when you two were pure slips of lads, as it were, you know, making your way in North London, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there were not, there were seven clubs in West London, yeah. all within about three or four mm-hmm. miles of each other. I mean, that was never going to be sustainable, was it? Nope. You know, was mm-hmm. that there just aren't enough people? Um, there aren't, as Peter Deacon, bless him, used to say, not enough chimney pots, lad. You know, just yeah. just not yeah. enough people who like the sport in that. And it's not just a lot of people. Mm. They've got to like the sport. You know, it's not because, oh, well, let's go to East London. There's no rugby there. And spend yeah, money on it. There's no, there's no rugby either. You know, you look that up with all due respect to Eaton Manor. I do apologise. I don't know what a couple of others once there, but there's not much. Hell, there's not much, you know, as well mm. as I do. There's not much rugby in North London. It's why Saracens have struggled mm. for so long to drive their crowds up, despite enormous success. It's quite a tough market, North London. But West London, where Wasworth was massively oversupplied. It had Quinns, it had Irish, Scottish, Welsh, Roslyn Park, Wasps, Met, it's ridiculous. Richmond, mm. they were never, ever going to have more than one or two clubs there. You know, and, and I know mm. people say, oh, it's terribly unromantic. If they win the league, they should come up. No, I don't. I'm sorry. That's how we get into this sort of mess. Um, that's not how other sports and other countries do it. And do you want to torch another five hundred million? Mm. I do you know I there, there are myriad issues for the owners of these clubs for Premiership Rugby to sort out in probably in conjunction with the RFU in this in what I'm going to mention. But yeah, it I just I had a conversation with someone on the beach as it happens, uh, just tanning my eight pack, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he mentioned that You're his taking his God, son and. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, minus the hair and the and the surfing and the godlike yeah, status. Yeah. Um, Elephants. Mm. He said he'd taken mm. his son and daughter to Exeter Chiefs three times last season. Yeah, and they don't really know that much. They're kind of sports fans. They just like the atmosphere and the hot dogs and all that. And it's a it's a good port bap at Sandy yeah. Park. Yeah. But all three times they turned up, and he said all the internationals were gone. That's who we went to see. They wanted to see Jack Knoll because they like his hair and his tattoos, and they wanted to see Henry Slade. And he, and all the internationals are gone. It's one of those yeah, things yeah. that yeah. we kind of just accept now that our internationals barely play for their clubs. And it just seems a crazy thing to accept anymore. It, wh- why would, why are they not playing for, it's not the players' fault, I'm, but it's a bizarre concept that your best players are barely there. And when they are there, they're often brilliant. They're also often knackered from having been playing for England. So it's, mm. that's one of the things that, the, the Premiership Rugby, you'd imagine, would love to address. They talk about having more massive events, which, and I think it's a great idea. So these massive events 
They do. They bring mm. in big audiences. People like watching them on TV as long as it's free to air. I love the massive events thing. I get the whole part of me is a bit like, you know, I, I played at Bath in 04. We finished top of the league and then lost in the playoff final when they still had the two or three week break between where we suffered from that. You know, it's so a part of me yeah. thinks you finish top of the log, you should win the league like it works all right in football. But rugby, I no. think, probably has proved no. that it needs these massive events. You're not having it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the, the problem we've got here is that because the game is not um, regulated well and is making losses, and the RFU is always under pressure to put more money into the women's game. Quite right. But that means the same money doesn't go somewhere else because then someone will say, yeah, but what about grassroots? And what about the schools? And what about the community clubs? And this is, you know, it's all true, right? All true. So the terrible temptation then is, well, how do we do that? Well, we generate more revenue. How do we do that? We play more games, right? That's the, that's the easy answer. We play more games. And as a result, we now play too many games for the number of weeks in the year. We play too much international rugby, right? We play mm. too much European rugby and we play too much domestic rugby. And until we recognize that what we are doing is a short-term sugar hit to overcome financial pressure and actually come sit down and say, you know what, guys, this is about how much can we generally think we can make here at the moment with a reasonable number of games that allows players to play most of their club football, probably not all, but they might miss three or four across a season. But the season's shorter. And that the mm. internationals don't play 11 or 12 games and have another five weeks when they're training and another three weeks off in the summer. You know, Because, frankly, guys, we're all in the same industry. And if we can't get our best product on the pitch regularly in a narrative that people find easy and clear to understand, we won't grow. And if we won't, if we can't grow, that means revenue, then a lot of the stuff we want to do will just be theoretical. You know, it, it just won't happen. So we've got to create, have fewer games with bigger occasions. Yeah. We've got to put clubs in places and, and we've got to stop and we've got to stop. We've got to start matching our cost base to our revenue and doing it the other way around. Grow the revenues, then increase the costs. Grow the revenues again and then increase the costs. But getting... Huh, Getting people in sport, particularly privately owned clubs with their own particular yeah. ownership structure and their own particular views to come to common agreement is it's an extremely difficult thing to achieve. Mark, how uh, to conclude really um, a bit on, on what we're talking about, mm. how worried are you in terms of rugby as a sport? Not that it will go under, not that it will stop, but will fall behind no. other sports because of what we're talking about now of uh, the, the way the, the business model um, uh, is involved in rugby, concussion being an issue as well, you know, yeah. teams, teams yes. play, overplaying yeah. players, not, not seeing the big stars like Flats has just mentioned. Is there a part of you that worries for the sport now moving forward? Yeah, yeah, but, I, but I'm an eternal optimist, Shanks. I mean, I, I, I refuse that, to though. believe that I refuse to believe that a sport which has got so many things going for it and is 
is is loved in, uh, with, in, in with a passion in in by so many people won't eventually you know all evidence to the contrary to date won't eventually be able to come to a structure and a regulatory framework that means you know clubs aren't under permanent financial pressure that the union isn't under permanent pressure to play more games that the that, that that we can actually look at it in the whole and say look this game needs a strong domestic league it does need a european dimension but it can't take up too many weeks and of course the international game which was what came through first has got to be allowed its space as well the fact is you all use the same players so you've got to come to an agreement that says, look, we maybe all need to take, you know, the premiership say, no, we need more games, we're losing all this money. Well, paradoxically, no, maybe you should play fewer games, have fewer players on your payroll, don't pay them any more for a few years while the revenues start to, to increase. And actually, a bit of scarcity might drive more people to go and watch it, particularly if you're getting more use of your international players. You've got to get it into a circle where that works for all three elements of the game. And until we do that, one of two things will happen. One of those elements will wither. Not sure which one. Unlike to be internationals, but maybe one of the others. You could argue Europe's not as strong as it was 10 years ago, for example. Mm -hmm. Or um, it won't grow. And that's always been my yeah. thing. I get terribly frustrated that the sport is not bigger than it is. And that's a long 10, 20 year thing. But the fact is, we've got things in the way we're structuring our sport that we're trying to grow. Uh, a horrible analogy. This doesn't make sense, but there we are. Um, with one hand tied behind our back. We're, we're actually mm -hmm. keep having things in place that makes it more difficult. I think this week's stories about two of the big, you know, two of the two significant premiership teams. I mean, God, what Cecil Duckworth must be thinking. What a lovely man and, and how much of his time and money he put into that club. You know, we're only custodians. Those of us who work there, those of us who own it, we are, I know it's a terribly glib, sanctimonious thing. It's true. We're only custodians. In the end, we pass it on. And you want to pass it on in a better in a better in better shape. And at the moment, you know, it's a bit so I can't help but feeling people going, well, if two or three went bust, then that might be where we want to get to anyway. And I'm, I'm not sure if that's mm. true, but it, it, it still doesn't fix the problem, by the way, actually. It still doesn't fix it because got in what we generate and what we spend. Mm. Yeah, and you put it like that. I, what I was going to do was, was um, ask you for a summary, but you've just done it. Um, I think ultimately it... Oh, it, okay. <laughs> it, uh, no, it's great. No, it's perfect. Exactly what you wanted. And it's been fascinating. We And like you, we could probably bore everyone all day with this. We're probably yeah, at a point but... where this is a, the sort of... Pod, we're at the sort of end, length of podcast now where people turn off however interesting it is. They finished their um, work. Absolutely right. They finished, they finished, they, they, they finished yeah, their high-intensity interval yeah. training. Right. Unless I'm on a sixty-minute cycle and I'm not, I'm not listening to all of this. My word, no, I'm not that exactly good. it. So no, I, I, right. it's fascinating, and, right. but but ultimately, what it boils down to is there are there's always a, a good line, a line of idea, number of ideas for quick fixes, and those sugar hits you, 
you mentioned. But actually, what it's about is not spending significantly more than you bring in, and it's mm. kind of it's a yeah. it's a financial lesson for a fifteen year old getting their first summer job. It's the, it's actually the same lesson. So um, it's, it's we, and we obviously wish there are yeah. leagues there are leagues around the world that do exactly that. So you know, mm. when I, I was I was part of the negotiating team in the NRL. And we sat down with the players' union for another five-year deal, and the debate was: Well, we want twenty-nine percent of player-generated revenues, and we said well, we want to give you twenty-seven. And it took us a year then to agree. Guess what? Guess what? Twenty-eight. <laughs> but yeah. it, it ends, but they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, but they're, but they're, and they were. To be fair, there were eighty-five other issues that we had to negotiate as well. Not that was just number one. Mm. They had a 28%. They, they, they basically have a elected bond agreement where they agree a whole bunch of things such as uh, what percentage of the revenue the game generates do the players get. And then that's a salary cap. And then they say, all right, yeah. how, many people in the, how many people in the squad? And they wanted 31 and we wanted 29. And, you know, we ended up with 30. And what's the minimum mm-hmm. wage going to be this year? You know, um, because that allows you to do certain things. If you have a minimum wage, I didn't really answer this, Bats, but... If you have a minimum wage, of course, of say 38 players, right, then your juniors, right, or your academy or whatever you want to call them, or even guys you just have on the books on can't be paid more, let more than the minimum wage main squad. They're not technically on your, on your, in yeah. your squad. So when I was there, I think the minimum wage was $85,000. I think it's now one hundred and twenty. You, so 30th on the roster, because that's the roster mm. size, gets paid um, $125,001. Right? Because you can't pay him on lower than the minimum yeah. wage. And, you know, and and then you, you say, well, and, and here we do it again. You say, well, what happens if you get injured? Well, it's easy. You think other sports haven't done this? It's easy. The, the league is much more powerful. And the league says, show us your injury record. Right. OK, we'll give you an exemption for two weeks to play that young kid. Yeah. Right, so you're not breaking the cap. We'll yeah. give you an exemption. Yeah. And and what do we do? We we I saw a squad last year of 57. Cool. What the fuck is that all about? Yeah, you know <laughs> that's just ludicrous. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, and I mean, you can do some other things to get cost down. You know, take number of substitutes away from eight. That'll do it. That'll do something. That'll save you money. Yeah, don't need eight subs. Yeah. I was actually, do you know just, what I, just... I'm thinking? Having having said we need to wrap it up, I was actually going to ask you two quick quick fire questions. One of which was financial. One <laughs> on, wasn't. It wasn't. One was, what do you think of the marquee player situation? And two, what do you think of no longer having uh, tactical substitutions in? This is that is not tactical substitutions, and actually, to in terms of the whole look of rugby, having more fatigue on the field, so there's more space, bringing size and power down a little bit. Maybe increasing. Yeah. What do you think of marquee players? What do you think of only injury-only substitutions? I, I don't have a major problem with marquee players, to be quite frank. I, I don't think it makes an awful lot of difference when you, I mean, the regulations around it make sense. I don't think it makes an awful lot of difference. I, I don't think it does much to your crowd base. I don't think it generates much more revenue. But I mean, if you want to give clubs a little bit of, you know, you've got to give them some some sort of flexibility. I thought two was ridiculous, but I'm I'm fine with one. Uh, and look, I'm I'm all for anything that brings down the importance of power. 
um, uh, for a whole mm. host of reasons, um, both about boys and girls who want to play the game and um, concussion and, and injury, all the rest of it. So I think one of the ways, I know Ross Tucker disagrees with this. He he, think, he says the data is not clear. And if it yeah. isn't, I would bow to, to that. He says, if you yeah. have fewer subs, you get more tiredness and you get more injuries. Uh, I've not more opportunities. seen the data. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, to attack. But, but at the moment, what I would say is the game as a product stops too often. Not that it doesn't. Yeah. Not that we don't ball in play is too is not good now because ball in play now is quite good. But mm. the game stops all the bloody time for yeah. you know. And I'm glad I got rid of it now. The water boys were ridiculous. You know, it, mm. it just just nonsense. It stops because. Some bloke, you know, is, is, you know, we all know that the, a lot of the injuries are fabricated for a rest. You know, they take three days to get to a line out. We, mm. we, and I'm not talking about having the ball in play for longer. I'm having, I'm talking about disrupting the flow of the game too much. And I think one of the things that disrupts the game in the second half of most games is the constant on off. Why can't we have rolling subs? Why you know we we can do that in rugby? Just roll it. Why, why do we have to stop the game? And if you screw up on the sideline, you 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 get a you get a you get a penalty. Not a penalty. You get a a sanction. Why do we need? There's loads of sports that have substitutions without. Well, let's stop the game. It's on. It's funny how often it's on the far side of the field, and the club yeah. that's a team that's losing, team that's losing makes a substitution. It takes ninety seconds. I mean, what? What are people doing at home watching that? I mean, I, I think it's bonkers. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Good I point think we're all for that, aren't we? Speeding up the game and making yeah. a better product. Mark, we're going to have to end this now. We could go on for a long, long time. Um, we, it would be, it'd be great to get you on, I think, during the season as well, because this is obviously new out. Once things unfold, we'll probably all find out a little bit more about it and, and hear your views because... You know, we could chat for, forever on it. We could also chat about Welsh rugby with you as well. So if you've got spare, we could. If you've got we spare could. week, if you've got a spare week <laughs> soon, we'll might do Wales well, with we'll you see. soon, Evs. Yeah. yeah, we'll, we'll yeah, do uh, right, sixty okay. hours on Welsh rugby. But Mark, thank you for taking your time out of uh, your Saturday morning. It's um, we start at nine. It's now oh, ten o'clock. It's been a pleasure, lads. Um, it's great to yeah. catch up with you. I haven't seen you for a, a long time. Um, I hope you're doing well. And yeah, you're very, very much clued in. We. We've learned a lot, I think, haven't we, Flats, about um, about where rugby's going and, and the business. Yeah, we, we, we'll, act like, we'll act like all of these opinions are ours. We'll steal them. We, we, we'll act like we knew it all anyway. We'll nick all your opinions. That's how we do it. Um, <laughs> of course. Yeah, Evzy, uh, greatly appreciated, mate. I've, I've never we'll, had a we, we'll, we'll, we'll see you soon, old chap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Take care, boys. See you soon, Evs. Thank Cheers. you, mate. Cheers, Bye, mate. Cheers, mate. Bye. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.